Hi, and welcome to the Genesis Podcast. We're so glad to be able to bring a small portion of our community to you through this medium and hope that you'll join us in our endeavor to embolden one another to change the world by effectively representing Jesus Christ. If you would like to know more about who we are as a community, as well as when and where we meet, you can visit us online at thegenesisstory.com. Also, if you have benefited from this podcast in any way or would like to participate in what we're doing here at Genesis, would you consider partnering with us by donating online again at www.thegenesisstory.com. There you can select the giving tab and how you would like to contribute to the general fund or even to the building fund. Remember, we can do more together than we can ever do alone. Thanks for taking the time to be with us. God bless. Good morning. Act like we haven't been talking and this is all new. Like, good morning for those of you watching online. Glad you guys can be here and join us. Uh, let's pause, let's pray, and let's get this morning started. Father, thank you for the opportunity to once again pause and focus to acknowledge that there is more happening in our lives than just the routine and the daily drive to work and to accomplish things, that there is a spiritual life that we want to acknowledge, tap into, and participate with. And we thank you for your invitation for us to do that, and we welcome it, and we do so this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. Again, good morning. Good to see you guys here and online. A couple of announcements. One to remind all of us that we are here because of the donations you give. And you can go to thegenesisstory.com and find the various ways that you can give online through Zelle, Venmo, Mail, and there's even an app online where you could go and give in that way. Um, So that's there. Also, on Wednesday, October 12th, We're going to have a night sesh, and what it is is an opportunity for you to come and work on some art, some writing, anything that you've got going on there with other creatives. And so it's going to be at the Works Building from 7 to 9.30, and again, that's Wednesday, October 12th. Also, today is the one-year anniversary for the other fellowship that meets here after us in the afternoon, the Aka... Lotheo, I think that's how you say it. Uh, what is that? Akulatheo. Anyway, they have been uh, together for one year, and so we want to wish them a happy birthday. And for those of you who are here, we have on the butcher paper here an uh, opportunity for you to say happy birthday to them, give them some well wishes, uh, thankful for the opportunity to be able to bless them with the space, and in turn, they're blessing us too. Uh, as they use this space and uh, pay for it. Um, (laughs) Uh, Also, I wanted to uh, just thank everyone who was at the potluck last Sunday. It was a great time. The food was amazing. Uh, It was a wonderful opportunity to get together, and it was so good. We are going to do it again. We are going to do it on Friday next month, Friday, November 11th. 
Mark that in your calendars. Um, I'm going to smoke a turkey. Okay, that's right. I'm working on the ideas right now. Um, It's going to be amazing. Um, At least I hope. And so it's going to be kind of a Thanksgiving, you know, gratitude, whatever you want to call it, uh, opportunity for us to get together. And we are going to put this online, even as we did last time. Randy's going to put it on. I say we. This is the royal we. We, Randy, (laughs) is going to put it online so that you can sign up what you're going to bring and let us know you're coming so we can make sure we have enough chairs and everything. It worked out perfect. We had about 20-something people there last time, and it was a lot of fun. And again, you're welcome to invite people to that. It is just an opportunity for us to get together, and I would like to do this on a regular basis. And so again, thank you guys for being there, and mark your calendars Friday. We're doing it Friday so that if you have kids, you don't have to worry about school in the morning. And if Rick wants to bring me some more bourbon, I don't have to wake up at six the next morning. It's a little harder. Um, But that way we can enjoy that time together a little bit more. On a more serious note, yesterday I was on a Zoom board meeting call. I'm on the board of FAR for a reason. Uh, Many of you know that that's the organization that we have worked with to do work in Haiti. And as we were talking, there were some new people who came onto the board, and we were talking with Jeannot, who kind of is there in Haiti. Well, he's not right now, but he works in Haiti, and he's our man on the ground to make sure things happen the way they need to, because things have a way of disappearing when you send money to places like Haiti they seldom sometimes get there. And it's been unfortunate, but we are thankful and we are very fortunate to have him and others who we can trust. He is right now in New York and we were talking about the situation in Haiti and you probably don't hear about it on the news because it's all about Ukraine and some other things. But Haiti is in a total collapse right now. The government has basically collapsed. People who are part of the government are being killed. Gangs are running the streets. There is no police force. And so it is crazy. It is terrible, especially in the cities like Port-au-Prince, Jacques Mall, and some of the bigger cities. It is impossible to get gas. When they've shut the refineries down, when they released allowed gas to be made in the refinery. It was being controlled by the gangs. They were charging $40 a gallon just to get gas. And so because of how Haiti is geographically set up, there are places that if you cannot get vehicles there, they do not, they do not get supplies there. And so people are going hungry. The schools have closed. Everything in the major cities have shut down. And it's kind of like anarchy. It really is crazy, and it's dangerous. People are dying daily from violence. People are dying now from sickness and starvation. And here we have been a part of the school systems in some of the more remote areas, and they are no longer able to have school because they can't even eat. And so we are pivoting what we are going to do in Haiti, and instead of providing, you know, salary for the teachers and the uh, 
tuition for the kids to go to school. We're going to provide food just for the family so that they can stay alive. And for about $100, they can purchase rice, beans, oil, and spaghetti and feed a family or sustain a family for a short period of time. And so we are going to put out the word and opportunity for you guys to donate. Randy is going to put that on our social media. I'm sure it'll be on our website too, a place to go to where you can collect, click and donate to for a reason. And all the monies that are being received right now are going to go to get these things to the families. And right now what we're having to do, because it's dangerous to go to the banks, because that's where they will rob you if you come out of the bank, the gangs know that that's the case. And so it's very dangerous for people to get money in these areas. And so people are having to come in the country various ways with money. And we are working in Mirabale, which is outside of the major cities. So it's not as bad or the corruption hasn't reached it to the extent it has in Port-au-Prince and the major cities. And so we hope to be able to get, again, food to the families of those students who are at the school, to the teachers, to the people who we've been, who've been helping us to take care of all these things. Um, but it's, it's a serious thing. You know, if you're like me, I mean, I've got Friends who I, I see online, I mean, just this last week, I've done two GoFundMes. One was to help a friend's dog who was injured and couldn't walk to get surgery so that, you know, she could walk again. The other is a friend who wants to buy geese for jujitsu so that people could have geese when they're working out. And these are great things, but this just hit different, right? This is like, not, those aren't unimportant, but this is real important. And um, I hope that you guys will not only give, but post the media that is there so that others can see it and give. Because the lack of awareness is part of the problem. People don't know what's happening. And they are asking, the people who are still in the country are asking for people to come in and militarily take charge of their country. Think of how bad that would be where you have and want a military to come in and bring order to your country. It's crazy. It's crazy. And so what's hard is these are people we have been journeying with and supporting and trying to help develop for years now. And, I mean, Jeannot, when he was on the Zoom call, he was just like, I don't know what to say. I don't know what what we can do. We just have to keep trusting and have faith that God is going to do something here. And so we are going to stand by them through this time and through this process. So just wanted to let you guys know about that. And with that note, we are going to go into Exodus and we're going to start in chapter four. And I think this ties in a lot to a lot of the things that at least I'm experiencing and have been experiencing. Remember, Moses got this call, this divine call through a burning bush saying, you got to go into Egypt and you got to set the people free. And Moses did everything he could to get out of it. He's like, what about this? What if they say that? Well, I can't talk. And finally, Moses just says, I really don't want to go. 
and God says, you got to go. And so Moses is going, but we saw that resistance. And in chapter four, starting at verse 18, this is after the Lord told Moses to go. Moses says, okay, I'm going. Verse 18, then Moses went back to Jethro, his father-in-law, and said to him, let me return to my own people in Egypt to see if any of them are still alive. Jethro said, go, and I wish you well. Now let's pause right there because that's a whole lot of downplaying from the burning bush incident, right? I mean, it's like, hey, I'm gonna go take, you know, the family and see the family. And, you know, it's almost like Moses isn't gonna come clean with, hey, I just talked to Bush back there and Bush told me to go into Egypt, take the family, I'm gonna rescue a nation, you know? And then Jethro would have been, what have you been smoking, man? What was in that bush, right? So there's this kind of downplaying that seems like it's happening. And the Lord, verse 19, said to Moses in Midian, go back to Egypt for all those who wanted to kill you are dead. So Moses took his wife and sons, put them on a donkey and started back to Egypt. And he took the staff of God in his hand. What's interesting about verses 19 and 20 is Yahweh had already told Moses to do this, and now he's telling him again as if for the first time, and now the reason is because it's safe, right? I thought I was going to rescue the people. Now he's saying, you can go back because those who wanted to kill you are dead. It's safe. And so we start to see, again, this sounds very different from the previous instructions. And once again, we are just struck with the awareness that the writer is putting down the traditions, even though they vary, and he's more concerned with holding on to the traditions than in consistency. Another interesting note is this passage in verse 19 where it says, those who wanted to kill you are dead is quoted verbatim in Matthew chapter two. Remember, Joseph flees Herod because he's trying to kill all the babies and then he gets the instruction, hey, you can go back as those who are seeking to kill the child are dead. And it's almost word for word and Matthew is doing it intentionally because he is connecting Jesus to Moses and he does it in more ways through his gospel. When Jesus goes on the mount to give his sermon, it's giving a new commandment, just like Moses was on the mount and brought down the commandments. And so there is this typology of Jesus is like the Moses bringing something new to the people, instruction for them. Jesus detour aside. Let's get back to Exodus here. Verse 21 says, the Lord said to Moses, when you return to Egypt, see that you perform before Pharaoh all the wonders I have given you the power to do, but I will harden his heart so that he will not let the people go. Moses is on his way. He still has to get going. And we're gonna see later on in chapter 18, when Moses returns back to Midian that he is reunited to his sons, which is different than what we have here because now his sons are going with him. And again, the writer has no problem with these things. He's just giving these traditions and we're left to, to wrestle with them. And I think that's important because we are seeing an unfolding of 
events that is going to start shaping how the people interact with each other and with God. And as he's going to Egypt and as he's getting ready to go, he's got these ominous words that God says, you're going to go and you're going to do this and I'm going to harden Pharaoh's heart. The Lord also says that he's going to, you know, kill the firstborn because they're not going to let you go. And so there's this dark overtone to this passage that is a bit troubling for us. And it gets more troubling still because it goes from zero to weird in just no time at all. And you'll see what I, I mean in verse 24, chapter four, verse 24. Moses is on his way. And then it says, at a lodging place on the way, the Lord met It says Moses in your translation, if it's an NIV, but it's actually the word him. There is no name, Moses there. Met him and was about to kill him. But Zipporah took a flint knife, cut off her son's foreskin, touched touched Moses' feet with it. And the word feet is a euphemism for genitals. Now now you can see why they throw all these different words in it, because this just gets strange, right? Surely you are a bridegroom of blood to me, she said. So the Lord let him alone. At that time, she said, bridegroom of blood, referring to circumcision. Okay, this just comes out of nowhere, right? This is just like, what? And if you had any trouble understanding that we are reading an ancient text, hopefully you are just really aware of it right now because this just reeks of strangeness to us. And... There's so many questions here. Like, who is the Lord trying to kill, right? Some say it's Moses. Some say it's Moses's son. Some think it's his eldest son because it is the eldest son who is going to die in Egypt. And so maybe there's a correlation between the Passover and the firstborn and Moses's firstborn. But we really don't know. And why go through the trouble of convincing Moses to go to Egypt if you're just going to kill him or kill one of his sons? Couldn't you have laid this out beforehand, right? Didn't, didn't God know about this? Hey, by the way, before you go, take care of this. Otherwise, it's going to go bad. Now, some people say, well, maybe he did, and we have no record of it. Maybe he didn't, and this is the record of it. Or maybe something else is totally going on that we're just trying to wrap our heads around. And it's so interesting to me, because apparently one of his sons, and again, it could have been the oldest, wasn't circumcised, but is that worth killing him or killing Moses for? We know that that was a covenant given to to show them that they are a nation set apart to God. But Moses growing up in Pharaoh's household, would he know that? How does he know this? There's so many moving parts here and so many questions. Now there's similarities that are like this. I, I think of Jacob when he is returning and he has this wrestling match with a man or an angel or the Lord. And it goes on through the night, right? And you start thinking, if this is the Lord, why is it taking all night to wrestle with him before he actually wins? It's like jujitsu Jacob, man. He just can't be handled, right? What is happening 
that it seems like there is a struggle that requires God to touch Jacob and cripple him so that he walks with a limp for the rest of his life. What is it that God falls upon Moses or his family as if to kill him in this moment of entering into something new, something big? What is it about Job when the Lord says, have you seen my servant Job? And then the Lord touches him and takes his family and takes his wealth. What is it about these stories that puts God in this light of wrestling or causing calamity or trying to kill? Because you would imagine if God wanted to kill someone, he could have. What's happening here? And again, understanding an ancient writing is important because how does an ancient people describe things in a way that brings about the emotion they are feeling? You see, everything was attributed to God. If we win the battle, it's because God was for us. If we lose the battle, it's because God was against us. Never mind we had sticks and they had swords. It's because God was against us, because everything is attributed to God, because God, there's purpose beyond what we understand. And so we put this term God on it because it helps us to grasp hold of it in some way. And when they come to these places of difficulty, it feels as if God is trying to kill me. It feels as if God is wrestling with me. It feels there's this description of raw emotion that is being presented by the writers that I appreciate, that I in some ways resonate with. I don't know if you've ever felt like God is against you or like, God, why did this happen? with what's happening in Haiti. God, why? These people are innocent. Why are they having to deal with the corruption that is put here with these other people? The same thing with other wars, with Ukraine and Russia. It's the people who suffer. What politically is being pushed here? And God, why is it happening? And it feels like, God, why are you killing me? because I have no other way of describing it. I have no other way of dealing with this emotion. This is just how it feels. It feels like life is crushing me. And I've gone through that, I'm sure you have too, many times when I get a phone call from one of my kids who was hit by a car and I have to fly out to New Orleans to see if he's alive or, or what's going on. It feels like I'm dying, where I'm on a flight the whole time and I don't know what I'm going to land and discover. It just feels this weight of what is going to happen. And there's a wrestling that goes on within my soul trying to figure life out that is just too big for me. I don't have all the pieces to put together. And so I don't understand what's happening and it's overwhelming. And the writers capture it, I believe, in these expressions. The Lord is gonna kill him. 
and says, well, let's get this circumcision thing done and maybe that'll answer it. Apparently it does. I didn't know it was that important to you, God. Is that all that's going on or is there something more happening here? It's very troubling. It's a raw expression of how they feel, how it feels like when God is wrestling with me, when God is causing calamity, when God is trying to, to kill me. I have no other words, and so this is how I express it. But it happens, and this circumcision takes place, and everything goes back to, okay, let's go back to the road trip here. And in verse 27, said, The Lord said to Aaron, Go into the wilderness to meet Moses. So he went and met him at the mountain of God and kissed him. And Moses told Aaron all the words the Lord of the Lord with which he had sent him to speak and all the signs that he had commanded him to do. Then Moses and Aaron went and together gathered together all the elders of the people of Israel. Aaron spoke all the words that the Lord had spoken to Moses and did the signs in the sights of the people and the people believed. And when they heard that the Lord had visited the people of Israel and that he had seen their affliction, they bowed their heads and worshiped. A few interesting things happening here. It's interesting how Aaron, who is a slave, has no problem meandering out to meet Moses. He's just kind of like, yeah, I'm going to go see him. I thought they were all enslaved. Couldn't they all just kind of, hey, I'm going to go out to the wilderness? All these questions. What's going on here? Did he sneak out? Did he get out? But he knew where to go. Moses was there. God told him, this is where I want to meet. And God, or Moses tells Aaron all the things that God told me. They tell the elders and everything's looking good right? Moses had been worrying for so long, you know, about what are the people going to say, and everything just goes swimmingly. All those concerns that Moses had were for naught. You're gonna, what if I go to the people and they say, hey, who sent me? What am I supposed to do? And so God says, do these signs. They're going to be, and so sure enough, Moses, I just see this introverted Moses sitting in the corner while Aaron's talking and doing all these things, and Moses is just like, hope this works, hope this works, and then it works, right? And it all happens. There's a quote by Mark Twain that says, I'm an old man and have known great many troubles, but most of them never happened. I feel like Moses is worrying, worrying, God, what what if, what if? And so here comes to not all these things go on. And chapter five, verse one, afterwards, Moses and Aaron went and said to Pharaoh, they go to Pharaoh now, thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, let my people go that they may hold a feast to me in the wilderness. But Pharaoh said, who is the Lord that I should obey his voice and let Israel go? I do not know the Lord. And moreover, I will not let Israel go. I do not like green eggs and ham. He's just like, I'm not going to do this, right? Now, if you've seen Braveheart or just about any movie that has some sovereign, they never let the people go on the first time, right? There's got to be a war. It's just how, what would he do? How can he just say, oh, sure, no problem. There goes my workforce, just letting them go. And, and so there's going to be some contention that takes place, but they don't give up. Moses and Aaron says, no, you've got to let us go. Otherwise, God's going to bring judgment down. But he doesn't, right? And, and it, it doesn't go well because in verse 20, they met Moses and Aaron who were waiting for them as they came out from Pharaoh. In other words, 
the elders went in after Moses and Aaron had done and put their things and the elders went in and Pharaoh says, you know what? You guys got too much time on your hands. You wanna go out to the wilderness and worship? Well, then you can gather your own straw to make the bricks and I still want the same amount of bricks made that you were making before. So now it's gonna get harder for you because you're just getting too idle and you're starting to revolt. So I'm gonna get you busy so that doesn't happen. And so now when they come back, they were waiting for them, and as they came out from Pharaoh, they said to them, to Moses and Aaron, the Lord look on you and judge, because you have made us stink in the sight of Pharaoh and his servants, and have put a sword in their hands to kill us. This escalated real quick. First, they were all for him. Hey, you guys, great, the Lord's going to deliver us, and now look what you did. You made us stink in front of Pharaoh. And this is what Moses thought would happen, right? This is what he talked about way back in the wilderness, right? I'm gonna go there and I just don't see how this can work out well. And sure enough, this is what's happening. And so Moses goes on and tells the Lord that, and he gives them a big, I told you so in verse 22. Moses turned to the Lord and said, oh Lord, Why have you done evil to this people? Why did you ever send me? For since I came to Pharaoh to speak in your name, he has done evil to this people and you have not delivered your people at all. The whole deliverance program is on thin ice right now. Thought things were gonna go well, it's going downhill quick. What are we gonna do? And you see there is a turmoil that's just emanating from all of these circumstances. From the very beginning, when Moses inquired about the burning bush and why it didn't burn, and then this demand by God to go and do what Moses didn't want to do. And as Moses steps into it, there is this assault on him or on his family. And then there is this going and there's this up. Oh, it looks like it's gonna go well. And then there's this down. It's not going well at all. It's so troubling and it's so like life. And I think what happens next is one of the more telling moments in the entire book of Exodus and addresses some, to some extent the questions that have been raised. In chapter six, verse one, but the Lord said to Moses, now you shall see what I will do to Pharaoh. For with a strong hand, he will send them out. And with a strong hand, he will drive them out of his hand. There's no rebuking Moses. How dare you talk to me that way, Moses? There's no chastising him for not having enough faith. There's just this, now you're gonna see what I will do. It's as if, Moses, you couldn't see it. Pharaoh couldn't see it. The elders can't see it. No one can see it until it unfolds. And now you will see what I will do. This little incident, which looks like a failure to everyone, is in fact a setup. It's putting the dominoes in place, ready to fall. It's a lesson both for Egypt and for Israel. Egypt appears fully in charge and Israel's hopes for liberation have turned to a death march. 
but both sides are going to see what happens when God does something other than what they expected. And for me, this is a lesson of how do I deal with the ups and downs? How, how do I manage when it looks like God is trying to kill me? What, what do I do when the things that you fear the most are, are happening in front of your eyes when there is just this cascading of calamity upon you or upon a nation, upon the things that matter to you, the, the people you love? How do you, do you get by it? Do you just you know, say, it's all gonna be okay, it's all gonna be okay? Or, or do you feel the, the pressure and the weight of the, the circumstance and also have an understanding that as things happen, more becomes known. God is still at work. And in this story, God is going to deliver the people, but that's not the end of the story. There's deliverance and then there's more turmoil. There would be more captivity in their future. So it's not like a happy ever after. It is just not the end of the story. And you'll see what I do when I do it. But I am doing something. And I think that's what I can hold on to during those times, even if it's not looking good. It's the fact that something is still happening. God is still doing something. And it's going to get really difficult for Moses and it's, I mean, they're going to have some bad episodes and, you know, there's the whole golden calf thing. There's a the whole killing of more people. I mean, it, this isn't just like, yeah, God's going to do it and everything's good. No, this is just, you're going to see what I'm doing, but you'll see it as I'm doing it. And that might not be the answer we want. I'd like it to just be all nice and promises are good and Promises of God are yes and amen, right? You heard that one, right? There's, but there's so much more. There's so much more. And I love the raw reality of these passages that confront us with how they saw and felt. And it's not so different from how we see and feel things today. With all our understanding, there's times when life throws us a curve and we just don't know how to deal with it. And I think God is still at times saying, now you're gonna see what I'm doing. And sometimes just seeing is a little bit of hope. Just seeing a little bit more opens our eyes to know that the story's not over yet. It's not over with you. It's not over with your family. It's not over with the nation of Haiti. You'll see something's still happening. As I was talking to my wife, Corrine, about this, she has this no-filter way of talking back to me. And she just said, I don't like that. Makes it sound like God's just doing things and I'm, sick. I'm tired of people telling me God's gonna do this and God's gonna do that. And I get that. God's going to harden Pharaoh's heart. 
God's going to kill Moses. God's going to do this. And I'm not saying that God is doing these things the way we maybe take it. I, I, I don't think that we have a, a big enough understanding of God when we take that mindset. Again, Scripture unfolds it this way because it's the only way we can through stories, through pictures, through these kinds of metaphors. But we don't really believe in God. God is the ground from which all belief comes. There, there is an otherness about God. And we try to put the personal understanding and pronouns on God because it helps us to embrace something. But when we get to that place where we feel that, okay, this is God doing this, you've lost the big picture of how little we understand of who God is. But we still feel his hand. And it takes time for us to see what he is doing because we don't have eyes to understand and see in the moments until they unfold. And I hope that will bring some comfort to you. I don't know if that'll satisfy my wife's questions. It might not satisfy yours. And it's okay. I'm not here to answer your questions. I'm here to wrestle with you as we try to understand God. Let's pray. Father, such an interesting story. So many pieces that, as we see, are put together are, are telling really a lot of stories. And I pray, Lord, that we would be able to digest these things and come away with some nourishment from you through them. And I pray that we have found at least a little bit of hope that no matter how difficult things are, how bleak things seem, that we are still seeing what you can do. Even in the midst of the darkness, even in the midst of the struggle, even when things are not going well, you are still at work. May we have hope and faith in you through these times. We ask in Jesus' name, amen. Wherever you find yourself, may you wait and see what the Lord is doing. Have faith that he is at work and that he is good. God bless you guys. We're going to have a conversation here, so... I think there's some things to talk about. But anyway, God bless you guys. Thanks for tuning in. You have been listening to the Genesis Podcast. We invite you to join us at one of our weekly gatherings. You can find more information at www.thegenesisstory.com as well as opportunities to help financially support this podcast. Thank you for listening.